Hey, well, church, I'm so glad and honored by your presence this morning. It's, it's kind of wild to see uh, this many people gathered and having to make space. It was beautiful to watch our children uh, participate in worship. You know, they were running around, and it was cool. It was just like, it just got really Pentecostal on that side. Uh, and I'm like, let's go. We start, you know, somebody's about to bring out a flag and just wave it. Thought I saw a tambourine make its way, and that's just my mom. That's just, <laughs> uh, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Uh, but we are so honored by your presence uh, this morning. As Ryan mentioned, today we're kicking off a series titled The Stories of Jesus. And we're examining some of the most famous parables of the stories that Jesus told as he taught his disciples and those around him. We know that stories play a vital role in our society and culture since the inception of time. Today we have, let's say, a, a movie that uh, tells a story that we really love, especially like if you, if you have kids or, or, or work with kids in any kind of way, it's like these, these movies or these shows have a sense of like a moral tie to them that shows a value, right? Uh, for us, it's like uh, adults, maybe we in our age range demographic, we love rom-coms because it kind of shows you the value of love and, and, and hilarity in all of it, right? It's like, oh, this is this is really cool. Maybe uh, for some of us, it's it's other kinds of movies like like holiday movies that that project a sense of warmth and comfort. And maybe if you like Hallmark, it's like you're gonna end up with a dude from who knows where that owns a ranch somewhere, and all of a sudden you get your life is set before you. You know, that's not reality unless God wills that for your life. Uh, let me know, and uh, I have a vacation spot. <laughs> but for some of us, it also there's there's these ties, right, to, to films and to stories that you think of, like a movie like the Titanic. What's the moral of that? Do not tempt God with a not even God could destroy this if He wanted to, right? That's the the, the takeaway, at least in my mind. But if uh, it, this is true of our culture today. In Jesus' day and age, stories played a very crucial role in the lives of people, especially since at that time, the majority of folks could not read or write. It was a very uh, uh, auditory, a learning type of environment. In fact, so much so that if you're familiar with the Gospel of Mark at all, it's the shortest gospel, uh, 16 chapters, but it was meant to be told uh, basically like story time. We would gather around the living room, we would sit on the couch, and your grandpa or the, the head of the house would, would share these stories. Kind of like you, you do today, like with your family, you're like, okay, go ahead, finish the story. <laughs> it's like, you're kind of like, all right, I'll give that one to you. It was kind of like that. It was meant to be told in one sitting for basically two and a half hours. They would hear the story, the Gospel of Mark. It was a beautiful thing, but, but stories played a vital role. Same thing with, with, with this is why we're going into parables. Parables were meant to be shared, and Jesus uses them to drive home in story form what life is like in the kingdom of God. The stories taught by Jesus reveal the way of Jesus. So this morning, we're going to be looking at one of the most recognizable passages of Scripture. Ryan mentioned this a while ago, but even if you're not a Christian or you're not really familiar with church or anything like that, the, the, the chances are pretty high that you've at least heard the term the Good Samaritan, right? Everybody's heard that, the Good Samaritan. Maybe you are flipping through the news and, and somebody did this heroic deed or, or stopped to, to do something and it's just like, oh, the Good Samaritan saves the day. Something along those lines. We're familiar with the term. There, but, but the story as we examine the passage doesn't come um, prompted. 
there's a question that leads to the story of the Good Samaritan, or as the New Living Translation of the Bible would say it, the despised Samaritan. Some of you are like, whoa, that's different than what I've read before. And that's the point. We're going to change it up a little bit, and that's okay. The question that we may find, and I pray we find ourselves asking by the end of this, is the question that the, the lawyer poses to Jesus, and it is this. Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? This question becomes increasingly important as our cultural moment reveals how increasingly divided we are. It doesn't take very long for you to look around or, or maybe flip through your social medias or, or turn on the television for a little while to know that, that we as a society are a very divided people. Right? If in terms of politics, like the right hates the left, the, hate, the left hates the right, the people in the middle hate everybody, and we're just kind of like done with it all. Like, like please stop. Like, nothing's going to change. It, it, it sucks. It is what it is, right? Like, people have that mindset, right? We, we see just the division in our world. But this conversation becomes, and a lot of these parables become increasingly more important as an election cycle is on the horizon. But, but politics aside, loving your neighbor as you would love yourself gets increasingly more and more difficult when we are simply, as a people, content with not hating them or not associating with them or, sadly, not even knowing who they might be not even knowing who our neighbors might be. Which leads us to our passage today, Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, the parable or the story of the Good Samaritan. If you have your Bible, you want to pull one up on your phone or follow along on the screen, we're going to be reading this together from the ESV. doesn't matter what, what translation you're using, as long as you're using it, praise God for that. Uh, but let's read together. And it says like this, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, being Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? Jesus asked them, turns the, turns the question. What is written in the law and how do you read it? And the lawyer answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he, being Jesus, said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, typical lawyer, just kidding, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So, likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion." He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Jesus says this, Which of these three do you think provoked or proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. 
And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. In this passage, we see a lawyer who some translations would point out is an expert in the law, in religious law, ask this question to try and trap Jesus. He tries to, to catch him slipping in a way, and, and, and if Jesus answers incorrectly, this is the, the lawyer's opportunity to jump in and really have Jesus charged for blasphemy or false teaching. So the lawyer asked Jesus, Jesus, what great teacher, rabbi, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What do I need to do? And I love what Jesus does. He, he turns the, the question back on him and says, what is the law and how do you read it? Or uh, what do you think it says? I'm gonna let you answer this. The lawyer answers correctly, actually. He answered, he answered this from his heart. I mean, he's, he's been ingrained in religious law all his life and says the correct thing, to love God with our whole heart and our soul, strength, and mind and your neighbor as yourself. And what does Jesus do? Jesus doesn't just say, yep, all right. Jesus affirms, like, hey, you are right to believe this. Do this and you will have eternal life or do this and you will live. Jesus is affirming this, this idea or this, this statement that this lawyer makes. It was pretty straightforward of an interaction until the lawyer tried to one-up Jesus, again, imagine that lawyer, in wanting to justify himself. It's a problem when we try to justify ourselves before God. It doesn't really work. <laughs> just a newsflash, I'll just throw that up front. But he tries to justify himself and ask Jesus, and who is my neighbor? I got one for you, Jesus. See if you can answer this. He wanted to justify himself, but Jesus goes into one of the most convicting and profound parables in all of Scripture. What makes this so profound is that he takes uh, some of the, the most respectable figures or respected figures in society the priest and the Levite, also known as a temple worker, a religious figure, both of these very religious, devout, pious individuals, people that were well-respected in their community. It's like if it were somebody were to be a pastor and a deacon. And Jesus flips the script, juxtaposes them with a Samaritan Gentile. Of all the people Jesus could have used to illustrate his point, he picks the most despised, irreligious and disregarded human beings, and that is precisely the point. Jesus uses this to flip the script so wild on these people that they would just be left in awe. How could God use someone like this? Jesus tells the story of a man on his way to Jericho is stopped by thieves. They rob him, they beat him, they leave him for dead. And the first person that comes is the person that you would think would actually stop and help. It's a priest, right? It says he's, it's a religious obligation at least to help somebody, right? Like you follow God, you follow the commandments, you, you know the law. You would think that they would at least stop to check in on how the person is doing. And what does the scripture say? That he passes him by the side, right? You'd expect to at least the, the priest to show compassion, lend a helping hand, at least help the man up, right? Like, at least get him up. No, what he does is, guy's right there, he walks beside him, sees him, and just leaves him for dead. 
does the same thing on the other side. The Levite, the temple worker, this man was religious, representing the people who had claimed to follow God, and he leaves him for dead. Imagine, this guy just on the, on the side, and the other guy comes by, another religious figure, and just kind of leaves him hanging. Like, you had, it's the equivalent of the, you had one job. And didn't even get that right, right? It's like, you had one job. At least ask, hey, do you need help? Couldn't even do that. Now, I'm not going to judge because I am often the, the priest or the Levite. Like, I see something, I'm like, ah, I'm not saying anything. I didn't see anything. Like, you ever have those moments where you're like, somebody needs help? You're like, I didn't see that. Let's be honest. I'm, I'm kind of a jerk sometimes, and I need Jesus to sanctify my heart. But, but this is what's going on. Two very religious, prominent figures pass by this, this, this person. Should have had compassion, should have shown mercy, but they didn't. But a Samaritan, a Gentile who someone that the Jewish people despise does what the religious don't. The Samaritan sees the man, shows compassion on him, goes towards him, heals his wounds, pours his oil and wine, and gives of himself to take care of the man. Jesus turns to the lawyer and says, which of these three was a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? Y'all know the answer. It's pretty self-explanatory. But what's crazy in this passage is that the lawyer, so trained in his ways, so, so trained in his, his hatred for Samaritans, can't even respond with saying the word Samaritan. Doesn't even say the neighbor was actually the Samaritan. He says, the one who showed mercy. Couldn't even name it. This is how, this is how ingrained this hatred was. Couldn't even say it was, the, it was the Samaritan. He says, no, it was the one who showed mercy. The disdain from the religious is palpable, but the point Jesus makes is quite clear. The question is actually less of who is my neighbor, which is at, but should be asked, what, what must a person do to qualify that I should love him as a neighbor? It's more of a, what must I do to be a loving neighbor? And Jesus says, that is what we should go and do. What does it take? What must I do to be a loving neighbor? The lawyer had no real concept of this. In fact, according to New Testament scholars, most Jews only saw other Jews as their neighbors. And even then, it wasn't all of them, and certainly not a Gentile. And Jesus is here saying, if you really want to follow me, if you really want to be a disciple, look around and see who your neighbor truly is and be like the Samaritan. Very countercultural. It's the way of Jesus and how he calls his followers to love their neighbor was countercultural then and is still countercultural today. We read this account, right? We, we read it, we meditated on it, hopefully that, that, that just kind of inspired you to go and really love people around you. But we read that and we think like, how dare those religious people? Words come to mind, right? When we think of religious figures that don't practice what they preach and rightfully so, words like uh, hypocrite, right? Like you're like, oh, that dude, hypocrite. That dude, done, right? Like, like you need to practice what 
you preach. And we even have the thought, like, I know for me, I'm like, oh, I would have stopped and helped. And that's probably a lie. You know, like, like I, I would have for sure at least checked in to see how he's doing. And maybe some of you in this room, that is your natural bent. And I praise God for people like you who have mercy and compassion. I need more of it. Let's sit down and have coffee because I need to learn from you. But as much as I would love to say that, that, that I would stop, but with complete honesty, I, 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 most of us, and myself included, probably wouldn't. I think we're a lot more like the lawyer than we are the Good Samaritan. And I think that's what this passage is revealing to us today. That we're, we often tend to be like the lawyer justifying our actions and justifying our lack of compassion for those around us Instead of just saying like, hey, I, I think like I, I'm a, a good person, but, but we end up just kind of leaving people by the wayside. In other words, we are pious like the priest, religious like the Levite, yet blinded to our neighbor, just like the lawyer in this parable. All the while, people are left for dead and we remain unmoved. That we have been blinded to the needs of the people around us. To, we've been blinded by what's going on because we have just kind of kept to ourselves. We don't even have a heart or eyes for the people around us. Part of this is, I've said this before, that, that we are all being discipled by something. And a lot of times that's culture. And culture is being, doing a better job of discipling us uh, into the ways of the world than we are being more and more like Jesus culture has discipled us to align politically. We think negatively of the opposing side and won't engage in even anything as simple as civil discussion. We don't show value to anyone that differs from us in opinions, not just politically, but, but name the topic. And we have, we build, we build camps and we fight, right? Like that's just how we do it. It's just like, nah, I'm done. Even, even among like Christians, right? Like we, we believe this, we hold fast to these truths. And you have the other Christians who are like, we believe this, you're wrong. And everybody's just kind of attacking each other. We don't even, this happens even in church settings. In our churches, there are arguments like we worship this way and we like teaching this way. Again, we form theological camps and assume the worst of those who don't share the same opinion, proving that we are better disciples of the world's ways than the ways of Jesus. The way of the world is perfectly content with you never knowing your neighbor who is different. Why? Because in our cultural moment, we ask not who is my neighbor, but we ask who is my ally? Someone I can lock arms with and fight rather than the way of Jesus who asks, who is my neighbor? The person instead of locking arms to fight with that I open my arms and receive with love no matter how different they might be. This is the way of the kingdom of God, not so that we can lock arms with allies to fight, but so that we can extend our arms just the way Jesus extends his arms to us and rescues us. This is the way of the kingdom of God. For centuries, the church was known for being the most giving people through charitable works and foundations. The church was on the front lines for the causes of justice, inequality, human rights, building of hospitals, and the creation of orphanages, all fueled by a love for God and love for our neighbor. And now, in the West, we're more known for how we vote or how much we dislike a certain lifestyles and in all these kinds of things. We're known for how we exclude and, and all these kinds of bad raps that we get. We are known as a people who claim to know a loving God on Sundays, but fail to extend that love to others the other six days of the week. And how can we blame those people for thinking that way? 
This is the culture that we've adopted. We have adopted the ways of the world. But the truth is it is impossible for you to love your neighbor if you avoid them or hate them altogether. So how do we move from being like the lawyer, the priest, or the Levite into a better way? We should have a better understanding of who we are in the story. While we might be tempted to look at this parable and place ourselves in the story, we're wanting a lot of times to make ourselves the heroes of the story, right? We love parables. We love narratives because a lot of times, if if you like to read and you like to read fiction and anything like that, you like to put yourself in the story. A lot of times you want to see yourselves as the good guy or the good girl or whatever that might be, but, but, but we need to read this text the way it was intended to reveal who we truly are. The reality is that we might be closer to the priest or the temple worker than we are the actual Good Samaritan. For a lot of us, especially if you grew up in the church, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. If you grew up in the church, praise God. And I thank God for for people that have that testimony and and you have a, a, a track record of proven faithfulness in the kingdom of God. But a lot of times we have the head knowledge, the information and the right things to do. Yet when it comes to loving the people most opposite to us, the people who are different, who think differently, who vote differently, we find ourselves passing by on the other side, just like the text explains. Uh, uh, we're just too different. Yeah, forget it. Uh, uh, we actually wouldn't get along. Like, we're just, we're just completely different. You know, like, fill in the blanks of whatever the issue might be. That is not the way of the kingdom of God. We find ourselves often passing by on the other side, as the text explains. But I pray that we model our lives after Jesus, who, in my opinion, is the ultimate expression of the good Samaritan. As I was preparing, it hit me like a ton of bricks that I'm neither a lawyer or the priest or the temple worker in a spiritual sense. I am the man who fell among robbers. I was broken in my sin. I was beaten. I was left for dead in sin. But Jesus, like the good Samaritan in this story, saw me. He had compassion on me. He made his way toward me. And, 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 and proverbially, proverbially, I said that wrong, but, 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 but he makes his way toward me, pours his oil and says, I got you. I am caring for you. Jesus is the ultimate expression of the good Samaritan. He came to me. He bound up my wounds. He gave of himself so that I would be healed and that I would be whole. This is the Jesus we follow. It's the example that we follow. Jesus models the idea of neighbor throughout the entirety of the New Testament. In his explanation of John 1, 1, which we know as the incarnation, where the word becomes flesh and dwells among us, Eugene Peterson says this of Jesus. The word, being Jesus, became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Imagine what it would look like if Jesus moved into your neighborhood. But this is the task of the believer. You have the same spirit, and you've been called to love your neighbor. This is the task at hand. Jesus sees the needs. 
Throughout scripture, he brings comfort to the hurting, wine to the party that is running out of it. And some people are like, amen, that's the Jesus I serve. <laughs> some of y'all are like, well, there are 12 actually, Jesus, can you bring the bourbon? Like, <laughs> y'all are making some specific requests, right? But, but Jesus makes his way towards those moments. He's healing the sick, sight to the blind, humanity to the leper, counts the poor as blessed. Jesus is the good Samaritan who sees us, comes to where we are, shows compassion, binds up our wounds, gives of himself so that we might be whole and that we might be healed. And what does this mean for you and me? I'm glad that you hypothetically asked that. Here's the reality. Following Jesus changes how we love our neighbors and the world around us because Jesus himself sets the standard for the answer to the question, who is my neighbor? And the question, how do I best love my neighbor? Jesus is the perfect example. If you are a follower of Jesus, it's not because of any work that you have done or merit that you have earned, but it's simply a gift of grace and mercy that Jesus extends to you and now calls you to open your eyes to the world around you, to extend a hand and open your arms to display the good news of Jesus to the neighbor around you. The task has been given to you and to me. And we don't just dismiss people because they believe differently. No, 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 We open our arms and say, this is the way of Jesus. Now, this doesn't mean that, that we give way to the cultural norms, that we can remain rooted and grounded in the truth of God's word. But here's what I'm tired of seeing. I'm tired of seeing jerks for Jesus because that doesn't exist. If, you're, if that's what you claim, that you're just a jerk. I'm sorry. Like... Uh, not you in this room, don't worry. It's some, some of the people that you know. But those two things cannot go together. There's no way that that goes together. It's not the Jesus that we see in scripture. We can remain deeply rooted with conviction that comes from God's word and still be loving and still be caring and still shown kindness and disagree. I feel like one of the beauties of the church and, and people that really get it is that in a world full of division, we can have Christians that disagree but still be agreeable people, right? That we can show and model compassion, kindness, and care no matter what things might look like. It's that that will bring good news of Jesus to our neighbors. It's the way of Jesus and the way that Jesus calls his people to live. The late missionary and brilliant philosopher and thinker, Leslie Newbegin, wrote this. He says, it is a terrible misunderstanding of the gospel to think that it offers us salvation while relieving us of our responsibility for the life of the world, for the sin and sorrow and pain with which our human life and that of our fellow men and women are so deeply interwoven. Brothers and sisters, we have been given this responsibility by God himself, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to love our neighbor as ourselves. Loving our neighbors like Jesus is not only our responsibility, it is a command. If you're a believer in the room, we shouldn't be content with just having the same church people around our tables. That's a good start, and I'm glad. I'm glad if you're doing that, if you're welcoming people in, like, praise God for that. But what does it look like to invite the people that don't look like you or don't believe like you or don't vote the way that you do or have differing opinions in you? 
These are the people that, that God has called us to, to, to open our arms to and share the goodness and the good news of Jesus. So what does this look like on a practical level for us to ask God to open our hearts to our neighbors and people around us? If you're a note taker, write this down. It's simple. Ask for the eyes to truly see your neighbor and their needs. Ask God. Maybe it is an actual neighbor that like lives right next to you. I've been blessed. Like my wife and I, we have some really great neighbors. Uh, John just made us king cake the other day, and I'm like, this is awesome. <laughs> I love my neighbors are all like 30 years older than me and Sarah, and we're like, this is great. They're all our grandma and grandpa. All right. Uh, uh, there's actually a family, uh, Chuck and Ann Bunn, that live just across the way from us, and they're actually uh, members at First Perez, and they're like, we, we can be grandma and grandpa. Like when I went down with, with uh, emergency gallbladder surgery, like the day I got home from the hospital, they were already there with like a homemade meal, and I'm like, I love y'all. <laughs> this is amazing. Like, I love my friends, but they just sent me DoorDash. Like, this is, like, I'm, uh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm grateful for DoorDash. Thank you, Jesus, for DoorDash. I can get Wingstop where I live because of DoorDash. You know, it's like, but, 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 but this is what it means to, to love a neighbor. Ask for the eyes to truly see your neighbor and their needs. Ask the question this, how can we best show compassion? How can we best show compassion? I think compassion is a way that, that we will win the world. Not we, but, you know, Jesus. Because we're modeling our lives after Jesus. This is who we follow. This is the Christ that we serve. And then lastly, how can we utilize what we have to ensure the betterment of others? How can, how can I use what I have to ensure the betterment of others? It doesn't have to be extravagant. It can be very, very practical. And it doesn't have to be expensive. Like, like I, I, uh, Ethan uh, Whaley is in, in the room, and he, oh, he can attest to this. When we were, I used to be a college minister, for those of you that don't know, I did it for like 10 years. Uh, I loved getting to, to walk alongside people. One of the best things about collegiate ministry is that we had people from all kinds of different cultures and, and friends that moved in from the Middle East, people that moved in from East Asia, South Asia, uh, places and countries where it was illegal basically to be a Christian. And these people were coming into our campus and had no friends, had no resources, had no real idea of how to get involved, didn't really know anything about American culture except for what they saw on TV. And I was like, that's actually pretty accurate. Like, <laughs> uh, they had a lot of horror stories of how, like, how terrible people were. And, and, and the sad thing that you sit down with some and you realize, like, oh, you were really mistreated by Christians. And that is a, people that proclaim to be Christians. But I remember... There was a young girl named Ashley, and Ethan remember Ashley. She was on our leadership team at our BSM, and, and she just had a heart for people, specifically for, for ministering to people who had never heard of Jesus. And in college, she started uh, buying people coffee and just realizing, like, okay, coffee is a commonality that we have. We all like coffee. I'll learn to drink it black, you know, all this kind of stuff. <laughs> and, 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 and we saw, like, this, this thing happen with her. She understood that, that people didn't have cars. And so she started just taking, I mentioned this a, a while back, that, that she started uh, uh, taking people just on target runs. This little girl in a Ford Focus just had, like, it was the funniest looking thing because people are like, how do you know each other? It's just like, you're from Saudi Arabia, you're from 
Bandera, Texas. Like this doesn't add up. And next thing I know, Ashley just, she's like, she's rolling up to campus and she's like, hey, can you meet me uh, at, at the parking garage? I'm like, yeah, okay. She's like, I need some help with some waters and stuff. She shows up in a 15 passenger van and I'm like, what in the world is this? And I was like, you're not much taller than me. Like you're driving this 15 passenger van. She's like, I borrowed it from the church. I'm like, what? She's like, yeah, uh, I borrowed it from the church. I'm taking 15 people to Target. And I'm like, yo, let's go. So next thing I know, she has like this, the 15 passenger van, like friends from Saudi Arabia, friends from, from China, friends from other places. And, and she's like, hey, they, they don't have any, a car. They don't have a place to spend. So she's like, <laughs> I get a text from Ashley. She's like, hey, uh, sends a selfie. It's just like, our friends are at my church on Christmas Eve. And it's like 15 people from like Saudi Arabia, China, all these places. And, and, and one of the craziest things was saying like, Ashley, how's it going? She's like, oh, I'm over at so-and-so's place for dinner. I'm at so-and-so's place for lunch. These people had opened their home to Ashley. People from different cultures, different backgrounds, and, and different beliefs about who Jesus was. But in those moments, God used a, a, a need for Ashley to meet. And Ashley got to share the gospel with people. We saw people come to know Jesus as a result of this one girl's faithfulness and saying, I'm gonna load up my Ford Focus and fit as many people as I can. I was like, are you sure you're not Mexican? Because that's what we do. And I was like, I could fit 40 people in this 15 passenger van if we really want to. We'll load that thing down. But God used this one person's compassion to bring many people to know who he was. It was a beautiful thing. It was a 20-year-old girl. No, no money, no real thing, but what she used, what she had. Again, now uh, Ashley serves as a missionary, her and her husband, in a country that I cannot name uh, because of fear of persecution and all these kinds of things. And, and, and she's living this out. But it, I say that hopefully as an encouragement to you to love your neighbor as Jesus would, to use whatever you've been given to love and serve people around you. I know many of you do this all the time. I know G and Caitlin have done this on many occasions and, and rallied the troops and helped people out that they saw a need outside of HEB SoFlo and, and God has used that story and continues to do that. I don't say that to pump them up, but just to encourage you, like, Everybody has a role to play. We all do. We're without excuse. The question is, I invite the band to come up, is this. How is God asking you to love your neighbor? But you need to ask yourself the question, who is my neighbor? Would you bow your head with me? God, we thank you today that you give us insight into the life and the way of Jesus. God, would you open our eyes to the needs around us? May we learn from your parable today. Jesus, help us to extend compassion. Help us to show love. And in so doing, God, would you draw people to yourself? God, that they would not see us and think of, man, how great so-and-so is and how great uh, G is or Rob is or, or Ben or Bianca is, but that they would see how great Jesus is because it is Jesus who has transformed us. It is Jesus who shows us the way. Jesus, we ask for your help. God, help us to love our neighbor as ourselves. 
God, help us to use whatever resources we've been given, whether they be plenty or little, to show kindness and mercy and the love of Jesus to a world that is in need of the gospel. Jesus, would you open our eyes to the people in need, the people that that have a, a desire to know you, God, would you draw them to yourself and would you use the people in this room to take the gospel to them and to the ends of the earth? God, whether it's giving people a ride to Target, whether it's just showing love and kindness to a person that we might disagree with, God, would you use us to be the hands and feet of Jesus? Use us, God, to be the neighbors that you've called us to be. From San Antonio, downtown, to the ends of the world, Jesus, show us the way. We love you, Jesus. Show us how to love like you love. It's in your name we pray, amen. Let's stand and worship.